It is a very, very hard lesson, and they had to learn it, and we have to learn it as well. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemp, and I'm Janice. And this program is called Bible Discovery TV. Thank you for joining us and attending the discovery of the Word of God, the Bible.、Uh, today we're going to study this in in the point of Hosea. This is a very hard lesson. Let's learn what it says. Coming up in about five minutes. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey, what's up? I'm going to be taking a look at the northern Israel at northern Israel's king that the prophet Hosea mentions. Ryan, today and tomorrow, you and I are going to take a survey of the twelve minor prophets. Just who were they, and when did they minister? The Book of the Twelve. Very good. Excellent, Janice. Today we need knowledge. <laughs> we do. We need knowledge. So take out your Bible guide and let it turn you to the right pages in the Bible, beginning the Book of the Twelve. This is very interesting, and let's open it up and see what God says. Hosea four, one through ten. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, the land will mourn. And every one who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field, and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in the day; the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They eat up. The sin of my people, they set their heart on their iniquity, and it shall be, like people, like priest. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat, but not have enough; they shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Hosea chapter four. Verses one through ten. Hosea, what a prophet! One to four, one, two, three, four. That's what we read today in our assignment to read through the Bible in one year. We're going to focus on verses one through ten of chapter four. Very interesting. You know, the name Hosea means salvation. It's true, and his ministry began while Uzziah was the king of Judah. And Jeroboam was the king of Israel. His prophetic career covered the reigns of the Judean king Jotham and Ahaz, and ended during Hezekiah's reign. Hosea's ministry and his book really is about God's love for sinners. 
Now, this was a time when many in Judah were leaving their walk with God. Not a good time. Most had forgotten the commandments of Moses and were worshiping other gods like Baal. Personally, Hosea learned that God sometimes required his prophets to perform difficult and humbling object lessons. Now, for Hosea, this object lesson was his life. You see, God told Hosea to get married and to let Hosea know that his wife would be a prostitute, someone unfaithful to him. Now, it's hard to imagine God asking a prophet to tolerate this violation of moral integrity. Yet, God would use this broken marriage vows in Hosea's life to illustrate Israel's unfaithfulness in their covenant with God. Hosea's message was to condemn sin and warn of God's impending judgment. And those assured were faithful to God that his love wins out in the end. Keep that in mind. Some loved God, some did not love God, and that division happens here. Now, take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage because it is very good. And we are going to talk about hard lessons, hard lessons. And if you don't have a Bible guide, write for yours or call. That's faster. But the fastest way is to go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on the Bible guide and it will take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. Uh, and then we go from there and uh, you can download it just as we printed it. Hosea chapter one talks about the family of Hosea. And then in chapter two, it talks about God's unfaithful people. He highlights that. Also God's mercy on his people. Chapter three talks about Israel will return to God. And then in chapter four, God's charge against Israel. Father, help us today as we look very carefully at this hard lesson. Help us to hear you. Help us to know you, Lord. This is very important. We need to hear how Israel left God and they just kind of wandered on their own. There were some who didn't. But Lord, I pray today that we would hear your call to us right now. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen. Now, as we look at chapter four, verses one to three, it says this, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, the land will mourn and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beast of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Which brings me to our first point. Take note. God's charge against Israel was that they no longer had any recognition of his authority as their covenant. Their covenant Lord. Beloved, we must always keep God close to our hearts every day. We have to keep God close to our hearts every day because our human minds are troubled by sin. Our bodies and our world is troubled by sin. 
The only way to really avoid being caught up into all of that culture is to stay close to God. And one of the ways we do that is by reading the Bible and praying every single day, just once a day. That's what we need to do. May we hear what the Lord says to us today. Now look at this. Verse four. Now let no man contend or rebuke another. For your people are like those who contend with the priest. Really? They contend with the priest? Yes, they do. Therefore you shall stumble in the day, and the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now look at this verse. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. Israel had forgotten the importance of God's law. Beloved, we have trouble in this world because we have forgotten God and ignored his word. That's why we have trouble. It's not a political problem. It's not a social problem. Those are simply the symptoms of the reality of a spiritual problem. Beloved, when we come back to God, then suddenly our motive changes, our hearts change, and things begin to gel. Now, I'll tell you that there's people around the world I have never met in my life, but when I see them, we worship the Lord together and we are one. Nothing can do that. No political party, nothing can do that except God. Really important. Look at the last part. Seven to 10. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory to shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity and it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Listen to that. They have ceased obeying the Lord. Now that brings me to the third point. Listen carefully. The spiritual authority failed in Israel because Israel rejected God. The authority of God's word, the Bible, is critical for us to know and follow. The authority of God's word, that's it. And we have to understand it. Now, some people don't. They read God's word and they say, the Bible says this. Hold on a minute. We're living in New Testament times. We need to listen to the heart of God through this. Holy Spirit, I pray today in Jesus' name. He would fill us and touch us that we may read the word of God correctly, not read into it, but let it change us. Help us, Father, to recognize that there is a different way to understand your word because we understand it as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. It's his words. So help us today, Lord, and activate your Holy Spirit in us to see you. Everybody who listens, I pray, Father, that they would read your word with your spirit, coaching them along the way and speak to them, Father. This is what I pray. In Jesus' wonderful name, and I say this, Lord, I say, make it so, amen. Beloved, we need to remember that, that we read the Bible for it to challenge us, not for us to prove our points. So many people are trying to prove their points today. Listen to 
Award. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. At the beginning of the book of Hosea, right away, in the very first verse, the prophet lets us know when exactly it is that his ministry is taking place. He names the kings of uh, Judah and Jerusalem, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And then he also mentions the king who is reigning in northern Israel, and that king is Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam in northern Israel is a really interesting figure. He's not the first king of Israel to have this name. Actually, the the very first king of this split kingdom of northern Israel. His name was also Jeroboam. So we're dealing here with Jeroboam II or Jeroboam II. Let's take a look at his reign according to the Bible and see what we can learn. There were two ancient kings of Israel named Jeroboam. Jeroboam I was the first king of Israel to rule after the nation split. He was not of the Davidic bloodline and became notorious for founding a system of apostate worship, setting up sanctuaries and idols in two key Israelite cities. Jeroboam II came several generations later. He was the great-grandson of usurper King Jehu, responsible for overthrowing Ahab and Jezebel. However, Jeroboam II did not live under his grandfather's shadow. He established his own claim to fame, and one that did not greatly impress the writers of the Bible, whose focus seems quite different than the everyday man. To the eyes of his subjects, Jeroboam II would have been a magnificent, powerful ruler. Even the writers of the Bible record his material accomplishments. He led military campaigns to take back Israelite territory that had been lost to neighboring nations, restoring the border of Israel to a bit beyond what David had established and just under what Solomon had accomplished. This feat of power was apparently prophesied beforehand by the prophet Jonah. Jeroboam II is also described as having great power to wage war and as having brought back a time of prosperity to northern Israel. Yet it was during his long reign of 42 years that the prophets Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah were ministering. They spoke in different places, and yet their messages agreed against the kingdom of northern Israel. Everything looked great from a human perspective, but the king and his people were content to follow the apostasy set up by that first Jeroboam, idol worship. Cultural, social, economic, whatever reasons you want to give to explain idol worship, the fact remains that it was this very thing that the prophets spoke against and called for repentance from. And that is what the biblical author of Kings focused on. Not all of Jeroboam II's great accomplishments, but his failure to acknowledge the God that would have established him. Jeroboam's deviance overshadowed any human accomplishment and indeed made them worthless. I hope you can see why I love when the prophets of the Bible date their ministries and date their prophecies, because what's so fascinating about this is we're able to go back into Second Kings and Second Chronicles and also into some of the pagan histories, um, you know, surrounding it to, to put together the what was going on in the world. 
at the time of Hosea. Now, what's really interesting is, you know, if you've been paying attention to to the prophets, you'll know that Hosea's list is the exact same as another prophet, but that prophet was in Judah and Jerusalem rather than northern Israel like Hosea was, and that prophet is Isaiah. Isaiah's list of kings is exactly the same as, as Hosea's, except Isaiah doesn't mention Jeroboam because he had no need to. He was prophesying in Judah to Judah, so he only mentions the king of Judah, whereas here, because Hosea is ministering in the northern kingdom of Israel, he also mentions uh, Jeroboam. One of the things about Hosea that's striking is God says, Mary Gomer, Mary yeah. the prostitute, mm-hmm. and you're like, what? What's going on here? And God says it, and he does it. Yeah. And so God commands him to do this, and it's like, what in the world is going on here? So, but the lives of the prophets were signs. They were. They, yeah, they exactly. acted as signs, and that was one of the things that you gave up as a prophet, where a lot of your, you yielded your will to God, uh, you know, which as Christians, that's a really similar concept where we yield our lives to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and we live the way he says. Not that he's going to tell us to do these things, but he has a he there is a there's a morality that he has us live by and that's you see that in jeremiah when you read jeremiah too it's it's there's occasions when he breaks out of his prophecy and he says oh lord why why mm-hmm. uh, you know it's always me it's always me it's always me and god always comes back and says well because mm-hmm. i'm doing this mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the idea of god working with men as prophets is fascinating and yet through all of that it's jeremiah that pens through the lord's mercies we are not consumed for his mm. compassions never fail. They never. are new every, every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. That's penned by Jeremiah. Mm. It's so, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Ryan? All right. Well, since we are starting the Minor Prophets of the Bible today, I thought it would be really helpful to put these 12 men into perspective and to summarize their lives and careers. Who were they? When did they live? To whom did they prophesy? Answering these kinds of questions will help put their books and lives in context. Now, because of time constraints, we're going to have to split this study up over two days. So today, we're going to be looking at Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah. So open your Bibles to the book of Hosea, and we'll go through each prophet book by book. Let's go. Although the last 12 books of the Old Testament are attributed to men we call the Minor Prophets, This has nothing to do with the importance of their works, but rather to the length of their ministry, as well as to the length of their books. In fact, their message is essentially identical to that of the major prophets, which is to depart from evil and turn wholeheartedly to God. In a nutshell, to love God and to love neighbor. It is indeed the law and the prophets, just as Jesus said. And nothing about these so-called minor prophets suggests a minor message. On the contrary, They warned in often dramatic fashion that destruction would come if the recipients of that prophecy failed to repent. Hosea, the first of the Bible's minor prophets, made this exceedingly clear to the northern kingdom of Israel. In fact, in order to illustrate God's relationship with unfaithful Israel, Hosea was commanded to marry a woman of harlotry. He prophesied in the 8th century BC during the reign of King Jeroboam II, which places his prophecies just shortly before the nation fell to Assyria in 722 BC. Even though God was offering Israel salvation, which is what the name Hosea means, they refused. After Hosea comes Joel, or at least when it comes to the ordering of their books. In truth, the date of his prophecies are unknown, though many scholars believe them to be sometime around 830 BC. 
If so, then this would make him the earliest writing prophet. Just as Hosea was called to warn the northern kingdom of Israel of impending destruction, Joel was called to warn the southern kingdom of Judah of the same. In fact, he used the current natural disasters of the locust invasion and drought to illustrate a coming military invasion of Judah. Then there was Amos. Though he was not a professional prophet at all, but rather a shepherd and grower of sycamore figs, his message was equally divine. Known as God's angry man, Amos came against the oppression of the poor that was all too prevalent in the northern kingdom during the reign of Jeroboam II. As a farmer, Amos would have been particularly sympathetic to the common people and the poor. Following Amos is Obadiah, though it's not really known when he prophesied. Thus, dates for his ministry range anywhere from 850 to 400 BC. What is clear is that he was called to prophesy not against Israel, but against Edom. Due to their continual mistreatment of the Israelites, God was about to bring judgment upon the Edomites. Another prophet called to prophesy against a foreign nation was Jonah. Though he is best remembered for prophesying against Nineveh, he did make other prophecies during the reign of Jeroboam II, not recorded in his book. Interestingly, Jonah was from a small Galilean village called Gath-Hefer, which means that the Pharisees were wrong when they said that no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Now, as I said before, because of time constraints here on television, I had to end with Jonah for today. But tomorrow, we'll carry on and conclude our study as we finish off with Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and last but not least, Malachi. You know, Jonah was an interesting prophet. He, he was somebody who uh, didn't really want people to get saved. He wanted them to be punished, punished. And God spoke all of that, and they turned around. Even their animals repented. But the Assyrians still had a problem, and that showed up 150 years later when Nahum came. Yeah, that's right. So God was not wrong. But if you look at it in a lifetime, looks like God made a mistake or changed his mind. But when you look at it in the tone, you see, oh, God didn't change his mind, didn't make a mistake. Very interesting. Very interesting. I think, too, to be fair with Jonah, the people, the Assyrian people were brutal and had done brutal things. And, and Jonah knew the character and the love and the mercy of God. And he was just like, man. You know, I know your nature, God. And if I go there and I preach that, these people are going to repent and you're going to save them. And that's a lot of times, that's what we have to realize about ourselves too. If we're saved and we are, we've asked Jesus to forgive our sins, we're a sinner. We have been sinners. And it's the amazing grace of God that has saved us. So therefore, we must have grace with each other. And that's one of the hardest things. When Jesus says to love your enemies, that's not something that we would naturally do. And that's not something that, that Jonah naturally wanted to do. He, he didn't want to go. It, it was going to be a challenge. It was going to be a, a big challenge. But you know what? He eventually went, didn't he? He eventually went. And that's my little rant on Jonah today. And this section of Hosea 4, you know, God is bringing a charge against Israel. And every time I read this, there's a verse that always jumps out. And it's Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. And it's just part of the verse, but it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I'm not talking about smarty pants, smart smarts, that we're wiser, that I know more than you, or I, I can quote, 
you know, 300 Bible verses and you can quote 500 Bible verses or you don't know any Bible verses. So I'm at this level and you're at that level. That's what I'm not. I'm not talking about that um, as of knowledge. I want to go to where we learn a very good book about learning knowledge. And that's back in the book of Proverbs that we went through just a couple of months ago. Uh, the very first proverb, it's the proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And it says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now hear this. This is the key verse, 7 of Proverbs 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, we, we, we should not have that attitude of being wiser than the Bible, that somehow we're smarter than this word, or that that used to be for the past, because now we've evolved into some kind of brilliant thinking people. I would challenge that. Doesn't, you don't have to look too far to, to see that that doesn't work. And we don't need to be a people, and yet it seems that way in this day that we don't take instruction well because we are arrogant we are prideful, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the word of God says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this fear of the Lord, what does that involve? To fear the Lord. It's not a fear of, 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 of coming down upon. It's an awe. It's an awe of who God is. It's a reverence that he is the living God. It's a love and a trust in God. This is where we begin. And we begin by asking this awesome and mighty and great God to help us to gain wisdom, not our own wisdom, but a divine wisdom, his wisdom. And we can find that in his word. And we can find that as we develop a relationship in prayer and meditation with him on a daily basis coming to him off the beginning by accepting Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive us of our sins and asking him to come into our life so that we can follow after him. We come to you, Lord, today as we pray in the end of the program. We've talked a lot about reading the Bible and we've spoken a lot about how to hear the Bible. And Father, really the only way is to allow your Holy Spirit to teach us the truth about the Bible so that we can read what you say because it's so easy to get it wrong. Help us, Lord, to hear what you're saying so that we can get it right in our lives. The Bible is for all of us. Help us to read it. Help us to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen.